Chapter 41 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Danielle Wolf. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 41. Nevertheless, seeing that she was watched by Wenceslao with more vigilance than ever, Consuelo feared that she might be thwarted by a mistaken zeal and composed herself to a more restrained demeanor thanks to which precaution she was enabled during the day to escape from the canoness's attention and with nimble feet to take the direction of the Schreckenstein. She had no other project in view at the moment than to meet Zdenko, to lead him to an explanation and ascertain positively if he was willing to conduct her to Albert. She found him quite close to the castle on the path which led to the Schreckenstein. He seemed on his way to meet her and addressed her with great volubility in Bohemian, Alas, I do not comprehend you, said Consuelo, as soon as she could find an opportunity of speaking. I hardly know German, that harsh language which you hate like slavery, and which to me is as sad as exile. But since we cannot otherwise understand each other, consent to speak it with me. We speak it each as badly as the other. I promise you to learn Bohemian if you will teach it to me. At these friendly words, Sedenko became serious, and stretching out to Consuelo his dry and callous hand, which she did not hesitate to clasp in hers. Sweet daughter of God, said he, in German, I will teach you my language and my songs. Which do you wish me to begin with? Consuelo thought it better to yield to his fancies and employ the vehicle of song in questioning him. I wish that you would sing to me, said she, the ballad of Count Albert. There are, replied he, more than two hundred thousand ballads about my brother Albert. I cannot teach them to you as you would not comprehend them. Every day I make new ones which do not in the least resemble the old. Ask me for anything else. Why should I not comprehend them? I am the consolation. I am called Consuelo for you. Do you understand? And for Count Albert, who alone knows me here. You Consuelo, said Zdenko with a mocking laugh. Oh, you do not know what you say. The deliverance is enchained. I know the consolation is pitiless. But it is you who are ignorant, Zdenko. The deliverance has broken its chains. The consolation has freed itself from its shackles. False, false, madness, German talk returned Zdenko, ceasing his laugh and his gambols. You do not know how to sing. Yes, I do know, said Consuelo. Listen. And she sang the first phrase of his song of the three mountains, which she had fixed in her memory, with the words which Amelia had assisted her to recollect and pronounce. Zdenko heard her with transports of delight, and said with a deep sigh, I love you dearly, my sister, much, very much. Shall I teach you another song? Yes, that of Count Albert, but first in German. Afterward, you shall teach it to me in Bohemian. How does it begin? said Zdenko, looking at her roguishly. Consuelo began the air of the song she had heard the day before. There is down there, down there, a soul in labor and in pain. Oh, that was yesterday's. I do not recollect it today, said Zdenko, interrupting her. Well, tell me today's. The first words? You must tell me the first words. The first words? Here they are. Listen, Count Albert is down yonder down yonder in the grotto of Schreckenstein. Hardly had she pronounced these words when Zdenko suddenly changed his countenance and attitude, and his eyes flashed with indignation. He made three steps backward, raised his hands as if to curse Consuelo, and began to talk Bohemian to her with all the energy of anger and menace. Frightened at first, but reassured on seeing that he retired from her, Consuelo wished to recall him, and made a movement as if to follow him. He turned, infuriated, 
and seizing an enormous stone, which he seemed to raise without difficulty in his weak and fleshless arms. Zdenko has never done harm to anyone, cried he in German. Zdenko would not break the wing of a poor fly, and if a little child wished to kill him, he would allow himself to be killed by a little child. But if you look at me again, if you say another word to me, daughter of evil, liar, Austrian, Zdenko will crush you like an earthworm. If he should afterward be obliged to throw himself into the torrent, to cleanse his body and his soul from the human blood which he has shed. Consuelo, terrified, took to flight, and at the bottom of the hill met a countryman, who, astonished at seeing her running, pale, and as if pursued by someone, asked her if she had met a wolf. Consuelo, wishing to know if Sedenko was subject to fits of furious madness, said that she had met the innocent, and that he had frightened her. "'You must not be afraid of the innocent,' said the countryman, smiling at what he considered the cowardice of a fine lady. Zdenko is not wicked. He is always singing or laughing or reciting stories which nobody understands and which are very beautiful. But sometimes he gets angry, and then he threatens and throws stones. Never, never, replied the countryman. That never has happened. You need never be afraid of Zdenko. Zdenko is as innocent as an angel. When she had recovered from her fright, Consuelo felt that the countryman must be right, and that she had provoked, by an imprudent word, the first and only attack of fury which the innocent Sedenko had ever experienced. She reproached herself bitterly. I was too hasty, said she to herself. I have awakened in the peaceful mind of this man, deprived, as he is, of what is proudly called reason, a suffering to which, until this moment, he was a stranger, and which may now seize upon him on the slightest occasion. He was formerly only partially deranged, Perhaps I have made him a confirmed madman. But she became still more dejected in thinking of the motives for Zdenko's anger. It was beyond all doubt that she had guessed rightly in naming the Schreckenstein as the place of Albert's retreat. But with what jealous and anxious care did Albert and Zdenko wish to hide the secret even from her? She, it was plain, was not accepted from this prescription. She had then no influence over Count Albert, and the feeling which prompted him to call her his consolation the pains he had taken the day before to cause Zdenko to invoke her aid by a symbolic song, his confiding to his crazy follower the name of Consuelo, was all this solely the fantasy of the moment, and did no true and constant aspiration point out to him one person more than another as his liberator and his consolation? Even the name of consolation, uttered, and as it were divined by him, was a matter of pure chance. She had not concealed from anyone that she was of Spanish birth, and that her mother tongue was still more familiar to her than the Italian. And Albert, excited to a pitch of enthusiasm by her song, and knowing of no expression more energetic than that which embodied the idea for which his soul thirsted, and with which his imagination was filled, had addressed her in a language which he knew perfectly, and which no one about him except herself could understand. Consuelo had never been much deceived in this respect. Still, so fanciful and so ingenious a coincidence had seemed to her something providential, and her imagination had seized upon it without much examination. But now everything was once more doubtful. Had Albert, in some new phase of his mania, forgotten the feeling he had experienced for her? Was she henceforth useless for his relief, powerless for his welfare? Or was Zdenko, who had appeared so intelligent and earnest in seconding Albert's designs, more hopelessly deranged than Consuelo had been willing to suppose? Did he merely execute the orders of his friend, or did he completely forget them, when he furiously forbade to the young girl all approach to the Schreckenstein, and all insight into the truth? Well, whispered Amelia on her return, 
Did you see Albert this evening floating in the sunset clouds? Or will you make him come down the chimney tonight by some potent spell? Perhaps so, replied Consuelo, a little provoked. It was the first time in her life she felt her pride wounded. She had entered upon her enterprise with so pure and disinterested a feeling, so earnest and high-minded a purpose, that she suffered deeply at the idea of being bantered and despised for want of success. She was dejected and melancholy all the evening, and the canoness, who remarked the change, did not fail to attribute it to her fear of having disclosed the fatal attachment which had been born in her heart. The canoness was strangely deceived. If Consuelo had nourished the first seeds of a new passion, she would have been an entire stranger to the fervent faith and holy confidence which had hitherto guided and sustained her. But so far from this, she had perhaps never experienced the poignant return of her former passion more strongly than under these circumstances, when she strove to withdraw herself from it by deeds of heroism and a sort of exalted humanity. On entering her apartment in the evening, she found on her spinet an old book, gilt and ornamented, which she immediately thought she recognized as that which she had seen Zdenko carry away from Albert's study the night before. She opened it at the page where the tassel was placed. It was at that penitential psalm which commences De profundis clamaviate, and these Latin words were underlined with ink, which appeared to have been recently written, for it stuck a little to the opposite page. She turned over the leaves of the whole volume, which was a famous ancient Bible, called Cralix, printed in 1579, but found no other indication, no marginal note, no letter. But the simple cry, rising as it were from the depths of the earth, was it not sufficiently significant, sufficiently eloquent? What a contradiction there was, then, between the expressed and constant desire of Albert and the recent conduct of Zdenko. Consuela was convinced of the truth of her last supposition. Albert, weak and helpless at the bottom of the subterranean cavern, which she supposed to be under the Schreckenstein, was perhaps detained there by Zdenko's senseless tenderness. He was perhaps the victim of that idiot who watched over and cherished him after his own fashion, kept him a close prisoner, although yielding sometimes of his own desire to see the light of day, while he executed Albert's messages to Consuelo, but opposing himself entirely to the success of her attempts from fear or inexplicable caprice. Well, said she, I will go, even if I should have to encounter real dangers. I will go, though I should seem ridiculously imprudent in the eyes of stupid and selfish persons. I will go, though I should be humiliated by the indifference of him who summons me. Humiliated! And how can I be so, if he be himself really as crazy as poor Zdenko? I can have no feeling but one of pity toward either of them. I shall have done my duty. I shall have obeyed the voice of God, which inspires me, and his hand, which impels me forward with irresistible force. The feverish excitement in which she had been during the whole of the preceding days, and which, since her last unfortunate meeting with Zdenko, had given place to a painful languor, once more manifested itself, both in her mind and body. She felt all her strength restored, and hiding from Amelia the book, her enthusiasm, and her design, she exchanged some cheerful words with her, waited till she had gone to sleep, and then hastened to the fountain of tears, furnished with a little dark lantern which she had procured that same morning. She waited a long while, and was several times obliged to enter Albert's study, in order to revive her chilled limbs by a warmer air. While there, she cast a glance upon the enormous mass of books, not arranged in rows as in a library, but thrown pell-mell upon the floor in the middle of the chamber, as if with a sort of contempt and disgust. She ventured to open some of them, 
They were almost all written in Latin, and Consuelo could only presume that they were works of religious controversy emanating from the Romish church or approved by it. She was endeavoring to comprehend their titles when she at last heard the bubbling of the water. She closed her lantern, hastened to hide herself behind the balustrade, and awaited Zdenko's arrival. This time he did not stop either in the garden or the study, but passed through both, and crossing Albert's apartment, proceeded, as Consuelo learned afterward, to listen at the door of the oratory and of Count Christian's chamber in order to see whether the old man was praying in distress or sleeping tranquilly. This was a step which his own anxiety often prompted him to take without Albert's suggestion, as will be seen by what follows. Consuelo did not hesitate as to the part she had to take. Her plan was already arranged. She no longer trusted to the reason or the goodwill of Zdenko. She wished to reach, alone and without guard, him whom she supposed a prisoner. Most probably there was but one path which led underground from the cistern of the chateau to that of the Schreckenstein. If this path was difficult or dangerous, at least it was practicable, since Sedenko passed through it every night. It certainly must be so with a light, and Consuelo was provided with tapers with steel, tinder, and flint to strike fire in case of accident. What inspired her with the greatest confidence of arriving at the Schreckenstein by the subterranean route was an ancient story she had heard the canoness relate of a siege formerly sustained by the Teutonic Order. Those knights, said Winchesloa, had in their very refectory a cistern which supplied them with water from the neighboring mountain, and when their spies wished to make a sortie to observe the enemy, they dried the cistern, traversed its subterranean passages, and came out at a village at some distance which was subject to them. Consuelo remembered that, according to the tradition of the country, the village which had covered the hill called Schreckenstein since its destruction by fire had been subject to the fortress of the giants and had had secret communication with it in the time of siege. She was strengthened, therefore, both by reason and by tradition in seeking this communication and outlet. She profited by the absence of Zdenko to descend into the well. Before doing so, however, she fell upon her knees, commended herself to God, and, with simple and unaffected piety, made a sign of the cross as she had done in the wing of the theater of San Samuel before appearing upon the stage for the first time. Then she courageously descended the steep and winding stairs, searching in the wall for the points of support which she had seen Zdenko make use of, and not looking beneath her for fear of dizziness. She reached the iron chain without accident, and as soon as she had seized hold of it, felt more assured and had sufficient coolness to look down toward the bottom of the well. There was still some water, and this discovery caused her a moment's agitation. But a little reflection reassured her immediately. The well might be very deep, but the opening in the subterranean passage by which Zdenko came must be placed at a certain distance below the surface of the soil. She had already descended fifty steps, with that address and agility which young ladies educated in drawing rooms can never attain, but which the children of the people acquire in their sports and pastimes, and gives them a confidence and courage which they ever afterward retain. The only real danger was that of slipping on the wet steps, but Consuelo had found in a corner an old slouched hat with large brims, which Baron Frederick had long worn in the chase, and this she had cut up and fastened to her shoes after the manner of buskins. She had remarked a similar contrivance on the feet of Zdenko in his last nocturnal expedition. With these felt soles, Zdenko walked through the corridors of the chateau without making any noise, and it was on this account he had seemed to her rather to glide like a ghost than to walk like a human being. It was also the custom of the Hussites 
thus to shew their spies, and even their horses, when they attempted a surprise upon the enemy. At the fifty-second step, Consuelo found a sort of platform, and a low, arched passageway leading from it. She did not hesitate to enter, and to advance in a low, narrow, and subterranean gallery, still dripping with the water which had just left it, and hewed out and arched by the hand of man with great solidity. She walked forward without meeting any obstacle or feeling any emotion of fear for about five minutes, when she imagined she heard a slight noise behind her. It was perhaps Sedenko, who had descended and was taking the road to the Schreckenstein, but she was in advance of him, and she quickened her pace in order not to be overtaken by so dangerous a traveling companion. He had no reason to suppose she was before him, and of course could not be in pursuit of her. And while he amused himself with singing and muttering his interminable stories, she would have time to reach Albert and put herself under his protection. But the noise which she heard increased, and seemed like that of water which roars and strives and rushes forward. What could have happened? Had Zdenko perceived her design? Had he raised the sluice gate to intercept her and swallow her up? But he could not do this before passing it himself, and he was behind her. This reflection was not very comforting. Zdenko was capable of devoting himself to death and drowning with her, rather than betray Albert's retreat. Still, Consuelo saw no gate, no sluiceway, no stone in her path, which could have retained the water and afterward given it vent. In this case, the water could only be before her, and the noise came from behind. It still increased, it mounted, it approached with a roar like thunder. Suddenly, Consuelo, struck by a horrible idea, perceived that the gallery, instead of rising, descended, at first with a gentle inclination and afterward more and more rapidly. The unfortunate girl had mistaken the way. In her hurry and confused by the thick vapor which arose from the bottom of the cistern, she had not seen a second arch, much larger and directly opposite that which she had taken. She had entered the canal which served to carry away the surplus water of the well, instead of that which ascended to the reservoir or spring. Zdenko, returning by the opposite path, had quietly raised the gate. The water had fallen in a cascade to the bottom of the cistern, which was already filled to the height of the waste passage, and was now rushing into the gallery in which Consuelo fled, almost expiring with terror. In a short period, the gallery which was so proportioned that the cistern lost less water by this outlet than it received by the corresponding one on the opposite side and could thus be filled, would in its turn be overflowed. In an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, the gallery would be inundated, and the inclination was still downward toward the abyss whither the water tended to precipitate itself. The vault, dripping from the roof, announced clearly that the water filled it entirely, that there was no possible means of safety, and that all the speed she could employ would not save the unhappy victim from the impetuosity of the torrent. The air was already pent up by the great mass of water, which hurried onward with a deafening noise. A suffocating heat impeded her respiration and produced a sort of deadening effect on all her faculties. Already the roaring of the unchained flood sounded in her very ear. Already a red foam, threatening precursor of the coming, wave flowed over the path, and outstripped the uncertain and feeble steps of the terrified victim. End of chapter 41